Hey, how's it going, guys? This is Blake with the Blake Benz Podcast, and we're bringing to you episode number 46, why you might need to break your business model in order to not only survive, but thrive. Today's episode, I want to share some things that I've been thinking about. If you've been following me on social media, if you've been reading, in fact, I want to talk about an article that I had put out on LinkedIn that had caused some people to... Uh, be a little frustrated with me and some of my content. And so we'll be talking a little bit about that. I also want to talk a little bit about some things that our man Kerry Lingenfelter brought up in last week's episode, episode number 45. If you haven't checked that out yet, you need to listen to it. And of course, if you're a first time listener to the podcast, first of all, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining and listening and supporting the podcast. What this podcast is, I run a coaching company called Good Advice, and I update this podcast twice a week talking about business, management, pretty much everything you need to know to be able to grow and run a successful business, and more importantly, how to be the leader that you want to be. And so today's episode, we're going to be talking about a personal example. I'm going to give an example of a business that I was part of that actually had to turn its business model upside down in order for it to survive. And beyond that, we're also going to be talking about some real-life examples as well of businesses that you know of, that you've heard of, and also the ones that actually are still around today that maybe you didn't know they had pivoted back in the past. And and getting more in-depth on this episode, as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, I definitely want to ask you to reach out, email me, blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. Uh, If you know me personally, you can shoot me a text. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, what have you. Let me know what you thought of the podcast, and I will always appreciate that kind of feedback. So diving into today's episode, I want to talk about a few different examples. And really, if you're unfamiliar with the terminology, when we talk about the business model, when I use that phrase business model, the easiest way to think of it, it's how does, it's, it's, it's like the definition for your business. How does your business operate? You know, if I was going to take everything that is true about your business and put it in one sentence, what would I say about your business? And so it's not only what you're offering to people, but it's how do you make your money? It's what money you have to spend to make that money. So for example, if your business model is, um, I don't know, let's say, let's say, uh, pressure washing. Well, the way your business operates is maybe your business model is you find clients and they pay a upfront flat fee and you go and you, you know, you pressure wash their property. Or maybe your business model is something different. Maybe you're not looking for these one-off things. Maybe your business model is is a subscription-based thing where you have a group of clients and they pay you an annual rate and four times a year you go and you pressure wash their property. See, this is this is the same industry and same type of business, but two very different business models. In fact, I would argue that the second one's probably a lot better in terms of the scalability of your business because you're encouraging retention and you're encouraging multiple touches with your product or service. So as you're thinking about your own business, you have a business model that dictates how you go out and acquire your customers and get your get your uh, your payments and you make your money and you get your revenue and and again what you have to spend to make that happen. So if you have like a pool cleaning business, you obviously have to buy the stuff that's required to actually uh, you know uh, 
clean the pool, right? So like the chemicals, what have you. Well, what I want to talk about today is there are several instances in business where companies have a broken business model from the get-go. And, and what happens is someone will start a business and they'll be frustrated that their business isn't profitable. But really, it's not that... And they'll, they'll even get to conversations of, you know, maybe there's something wrong with my marketing or maybe I need to hire an ad expert or really all these different decisions that someone can make when really what you're what you're trying to do, you're trying to put lipstick on a pig is how the expression goes. You know, no matter how much how much tidying up you do, it's still a pig. Right. And so sometimes I'll talk to people who they'll, they'll say something like, well, I've tried, you know, A, B and C and it's not really working. And I'll say, well, let's let's back up and let's look at the foundation of your business model. Let's see how do you actually go out and make money? You know, how does your business actually operate? Because if you get that wrong from the get go, it will often make the business it'll often make it a challenge to actually grow and scale the business. So one good example of this would be a really personal example. If you're not familiar with my story, I actually started with a consulting company here in Northwest Arkansas. And essentially what happened was uh, the way our business operated was we would go out, we would acquire clients and we would do anything from like team building to like executive coaching to, you know, culture work to strategy work, you know, really the whole thing. And what would happen is we had salespeople and we had delivery people. And in fact, within the company, we actually had those two specific teams. Actually, we had, we had three specific teams. We had the admin team, which did all invoice work, credit card payments, uh, our, uh, dealing with our own accounting. Uh, they did all of that stuff kind of behind the scenes. So we had the accounting, we had the, uh, excuse me, the uh, sort of the admin slash accounting department. We also had the sales team and their job was to go out and sell. And then we had the delivery team and the delivery team was the team that I was on. And so my job wasn't to sell. It was once something was sold, uh, it would get passed on to me. And my job would be then to go and deliver whatever the contract said I should deliver. So like, for example, if Walmart is wanting like team building for a certain team, or maybe maybe there's a certain Walmart team that, uh, and I'm just I'm just right my right now in my mind I'm just going back to past programs I had done in the past. But uh, let's say like a Walmart team is going through a lot of change. Maybe there's a lot of people moving in and out of the team, and so maybe they want to bring someone in to do a presentation on change and managing change and being resilient to change or. You know, maybe it's a company where someone just got promoted or they're about to get promoted, but they need a little bit of coaching. And so it's, it's you know, hey, to this firm, can you guys come in and do some coaching for this person so they can be a better leader or a better boss or, or what have you. And then on the highest level in terms of like what was usually the most expensive, but also uh, which was the, the things that were the, the largest uh, in terms of the amount of work we were doing was working with like C-suite executives who they were trying to create like a strategic plan for their business or they were trying to, maybe they were just trying to get everyone on the same page, which is what my previous company had called the senior team alignment. Like how do we actually get everyone, we all know what we're doing and we know what our goals are going to be moving forward, which as you grow into a larger and larger business, those touch points become harder and harder. And as you can understand, uh, it, it becomes much more difficult to actually run your company with everyone really in sync because it just becomes so big. Well, so as the delivery guy, 
once again, the salespeople would come to me and they'd say, hey, we sold this contract. Here are the details. We're going to connect you to the clients. Go out and do the work for them. Well, the problem with this, and here's what was so interesting about this, was we had about 35 employees all together, and they were all phenomenal people, just incredible teammates, wonderful people. And strangely enough, we found ourselves several thousand dollars in the hole. And I don't mean like four or $5,000. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in the red, despite our best efforts to be profitable, to be successful, to, uh, to you know, give the best service we could. Uh, somehow we found ourselves continuously year after year struggling to really keep our head above water. And I'll never forget what one of my bosses said at the time, because uh, actually it was the time when we all came into this meeting and they informed that nearly everyone was being let go and the company was uh, going to be essentially relaunched and rebranded as this different thing. But I remember what my boss said was, you know, we have the best people in the world, but it doesn't matter if the business model is broken. And I never heard that expression before. And I'm thinking like, well, that doesn't sound right. I mean, everything I've been told is as long as you have the the best team, Things will just fall into place. Things will just work. And unfortunately, when the foundation is not solid, when the, when the foundation is not built on a pure principle of we make money this way and we don't have to spend tons of money to make it, without that, it doesn't matter who's on your team. It doesn't matter what marketing you do. It doesn't matter what advertising you do. You have to have a really strong business model. And in our case, what was happening was Customer comes to you, they want a certain service for their business. Salesperson, they'll sell them, uh, they'll spend their time and energy selling that actual um, program to that customer. And then as I already mentioned, the delivery person would then take over and deliver it. Well, the problem was you have a salaried person on staff for sales, you have a salaried person on staff for delivery, and you have a salaried person on staff for admin management and accounting. That's a lot of salaries for one job. And so you have three people who are all managing these very time-consuming jobs where sometimes you'd have the delivery person, like for me, for example, you would be out with a customer and you'd be spending all day with this customer. Maybe you'd be spending two or three days with this customer. And the, the price we were charging to those customers was nowhere near the expenses of time that these three different positions were spending in order to deliver said service. And I remember talking to my CEO at the time, and he said, he said, you know, the, the problem with how we operate is in order to bring in more money, we either have to bring on more staff, which is more overhead, or we have to charge more. And it's interesting that that latter part, because as we started talking more about that, it was like we, we found out we hadn't actually done a price increase in something like 15 years. I mean, almost a decade and a half that we had never changed our prices, which you know, even with inflation, it's like, well, geez, I mean, what are we even charging today compared to 15 years ago? So you had all these complexities of how does our business make money, not to mention we had built up all of this overhead over the years. And one example of this, we had this retreat center, like this executive retreat center out on uh, this lake, which is this really pristine, amazing, awesome lake uh, here in Northwest Arkansas. And we had this executive retreat center out there. And the cost to manage 
just just to operate this executive retreat center. I mean, things are always broken out there. You know, it's it's a house, right? And if you're a homeowner, you know that you know the house will be perfect until the day you put your offer down on it. And the moment you buy that house, suddenly things are going to start breaking and popping up, and these issues are going to start happening. Well, imagine that, but for a massive, uh, you know, I call it a retreat center. It was basically a mansion. So you have a you have a a a very large size property out on the lake that needs constant attention, and because it needs so much attention, it even has salaried staff people plural who are out there managing the property. And we had this retreat center because we were sometimes funneling customers out to that event because sometimes they didn't want to you know they didn't want to come to a conference room they wanted to come to a really nice uh, place where they could really detach from the craziness of the world and really focus on their business. Now, in terms of impact, all of this stuff was phenomenal. I mean, customers were totally transformed. We had people, we had actual business owners who sometimes they were in tears by the the realizations they were making about themselves and their businesses. So the work was absolutely meaningful. The problem was that it was not sustainable. And I think that's what happens sometimes when we have dysfunctional business models is that in the short term, it can work or in the smallest sense of scale, i.e. you have one customer, it can work. But on the grand scheme of things, it doesn't work, right? It's kind of like another way to approach this. Whenever our company was relaunching and rebranding, my CEO at the time, who he was actually moving on to a different company, I remember him saying, you know, you, you guys need to reconsider coaching. And I said, what do you mean? Like, we're a coaching company. Why would we reconsider? And he said, it's not that you need to not do it anymore, but you need to reconsider how you go about doing it. Because if, if coaching, because what happened was we, as we relaunched, we were like, okay, what are all the things we need to cut out and not do anymore? So like one of the things that came out of that was we used to do ropes course and it was like, why are we doing ropes course? It's not profitable. It takes an enormous amount of time. It doesn't make any sense. So we got rid of ropes course. Well, one of the things we were hedging our bets on was direct coaching. And so our CEO said, I just don't know about direct coaching because here's the problem with direct coaching. We live in an area where at any given point in time, you might be driving 45 minutes from point A to point B, maybe from one coaching client to the next coaching client. Well, part of the problem with that is that you're losing two to three hours in a day from all the travel that you're doing in Northwest Arkansas. So once again, the only way to solve this is either to change the way you go about coaching or it's to charge people a lot more money to cover your time so that you're profitable. And you can only offer so much value to the point where people say, okay, you know what? I believe that this is important for me, but I just don't have that in my budget right now. But what the CEO was doing was he was challenging us to think about your business model. Think about how you're going to operate and position yourself where you can actually scale in a way that is healthy for your business. Because as you can probably guess, there's only a certain number of coachings I can take in a day before I'm totally booked and I can't take any more, right? So we totally repositioned our business. We reformatted our business model. I mentioned how we had to restructure our company. And so of the 35 people, we whittled down to 10 people. Unfortunately, had to let go some really awesome, incredible people. We got rid of our sales department completely. We got rid of our accounting and admin departments completely. And the way the business model was to operate moving forward 
was you have one person who is a consultant and coach who does basically everything with some support from, we called them fellows. They were basically, you could think of them as uh, they were getting their MBAs, but also they were working for us full time and we were paying for their school and they would help with some of the admin work. And so what I would do then is my position changed to, instead of someone handing off work to me, I would now go out, find my customers and then deliver said coaching, consulting, whatever to them. And it would all be part of this one uh, neat, neat and tidy package uh, where I was essentially only paying for my time rather than you know a salesperson, an admin person, and a delivery person. And so we changed the way we did our business and actually went to what is today a very uh, it's it's similar to pretty much what any consulting company does today is they have people who sort of fill these multiple roles, but especially. Uh, it's it's incredibly unlikely now to find a coach who doesn't also have a hand in sales as well. So we had to change our business model in order for the company to survive. And crazy enough, sure enough, after years of being unprofitable in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, the next year there was a surplus of something like, or excuse me, a profit of something like three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars. And so it absolutely worked, smashed our goals. It was just incredible. Now, our business is not the only example of this. If you look at history, there's plenty of other examples of companies that had to, I call it breaking your business model, where it's it goes beyond just the pivot. And if you're not familiar with the expression of the pivot, it's extremely common terminology in the startup world. And what it is, it's essentially where, and what you actually see in the, in the tech world or the startup world is companies that are going to offer a certain service or a product or what have you, and then as they see how the market is changing, they pivot their service to something else. And so a really great example of this would be Bumble. And if you're not familiar, either Bumble or, or maybe it's, actually it's Tinder is what it was. And so Tinder, if you don't know, if you don't know how Tinder actually started, whenever they put together Tinder, uh, which is the you know, the super shallow hookup app on uh, the mobile app world. Well, so the way Tinder actually got started was they were they were selling access to, or they're trying to build a membership with shop owners on getting customers on this app. And it would almost be like this loyalty app or this this coupon app for local businesses in the area. Well, at some point, it pivoted completely to Tinder, which was a different target demographic, different product, you know, completely different than that. So it's not uncommon for companies to pivot. But when I use the expression breaking your business model, it's, it's, it's times in history where businesses have literally uprooted what they had been doing for maybe even decades and went a completely different direction. And really, when I look at businesses today, there's plenty of examples of businesses who failed because they were unwilling to do that. They were unwilling to make the strong pivot, either through fear, either through, you know, we're overly relying on our shareholders. Uh, You know, we can't make that risky decision. Maybe there's a CEO who says, you know what, I'll leave that to the future CEO right now. I'm okay with, you know, whatever salary I'm taking. And so what I want to talk about, I want to call on some examples from Jim Collins, Good to Great. You got to check out the book. It's phenomenal. I want to call on some things that Carrie Lingenfelter had mentioned on the last episode. And I'm bringing this all together because on uh, LinkedIn, I had put out an article on iTunes and talking about how 
Apple did not innovate iTunes and how a company like Apple should have been proactive in creating the next Spotify before Spotify ever came out. They should have been proactive in creating something like that before Spotify ever came to market. And in that article, I also talked about how there are plenty of other businesses that were so incredibly experienced in their industry, and yet they didn't create the thing that then began to steal market share from them. And so one of the examples I mentioned in the article, and I've beat it to death, I've talked about it a thousand times, is I mentioned Blockbuster. And I said Blockbuster had 15 years on Netflix. It knew the movie rental industry better than anyone. Why didn't Blockbuster create Netflix before Netflix did? Or here's another example. Why didn't Ford come up with Uber before Uber did? And it's funny, as I've been talking about this, I've had, I've had people reach out to me and, you know, there's just always going to be haters, right? And so I, on one hand, I have people who are like, wow, this is so good, man. Yeah, I'm resonating with this. And then on the other hand, I have people who will reach out to me and they'll say, you're an idiot and it shows. Uh, I had one guy who said, you need to never give business advice ever again to anyone because you're a total idiot. And I thought, okay, so you disagree clearly. That's okay. But it's funny because I was talking about that. And then as I was sitting down with Carrie, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect data point for what I've been talking about. Because what he was talking about was Walgreens and how Walgreens was a soda fountain shop. It was like a drugstore that their main profits were through selling sodas. And on the side, they also did, uh, they were a drugstore. But soda fountains were like their thing. It was like, you know, this, 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 what they would hedge their bets on. And what eventually happened was sometime around the third generation in this family business, the owner made the decision, you know what, we're going to stop doing soda fountains and we're going to go all in on the drugstore idea. And now moving forward to today, we can see how that panned out for them. See, we have these moments in history where companies make these hard pivots. They change their business model. They say, we're hedging on this and instead we're going to do that. And even that may be something we don't have a lot of experience in. It may be something that we're not really familiar with, but we're going to do that because if we don't innovate, if we don't push ourselves forward to get into a different field, we will die. It's kind of like I think about Yellow Pages. Remember the Yellow Pages? Remember the little book you would get, uh, you know, get it on your doorstep and you'd have to flip through the Yellow Pages. And if, if, you're, a, if you're a young person, you're listening, and maybe you're even thinking like, what the heck is this? So back in the day, you had to, you would get this large catalog and essentially in it, in the yellow pages, you had every business listing and you would flip through that. And this is long before like the Google days. Well, as you can imagine today, it's, it's, it is totally irrelevant. And, and I don't even know how well or not well yellow pages is doing, but I think they rebranded to YP uh, just because Yellow Pages made no sense. And they they needed to rebrand. They needed to to pivot and change their business model because it, it doesn't apply today. It's kind of like sometimes I talk to entrepreneurs who, and this, this seems to come up at least once or twice a month, but I'll talk to entrepreneurs who say something along the lines of, hey, I want to start a travel agency. What advice do you have for me? Or how can I go about starting this travel agency? And my answer is pretty much always the same every time. It's, it's why would you want to start a travel agency in 2019? And what is your business model going to be? Because if you run a travel agency that's like any other travel agency there's ever been, you will fail. Why will you fail? 
It's because today in 2019, I have more autonomy and more control over my vacation than ever before in, in the history of my life. In fact, the platforms where I book something will usually also try to keep me on their platform and will book uh, additional services through that. So for example, if I get on Expedia, I'm not just going to book a flight. It can also show me uh, a travel destination and, and packages for that, like a hotel and things I can do there. And so, uh, you know, it's also automated now. There's really no reason for me to pick up the phone and call someone and say, can you be my travel agent? And this doesn't surprise me and it shouldn't really surprise anyone. And yet people will indulge themselves in these ideas that are very bad. They have no chance of being profitable. And worst case scenario, they they throw tons of money into it. In fact, I was talking to someone uh, just about maybe four or five months ago, and he was telling me about a friend of his who just went out of business. And I said, well, what happened to your friend? And he said, well, he went out of business. He was only open for about a year, and he had to lay everyone off. And I said, well, tell me more information. Well, this guy started a travel agency company. He had 15 employees. He hired way too fast. He took on 15 employees. He had to let all of them go and close the doors within a year. And when you hear a story like that, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's also kind of, and I don't mean this harshly, but it's kind of a no-brainer why 80% of all businesses were failed because, will fail because if you look at that on paper, it's like, yeah, there was no chance that was ever going to make it. From the foundational st standpoint of it, it could not have made it. And so in history's time, you can look back and see these companies who are still around today because they made very bold decisions about their business model. On the flip side, you can see companies that did not make it because they weren't willing. And I already mentioned a few of them on the podcast today. So Blockbuster, and it's so funny how, it's so funny to me how the Blockbuster story is so triggering to people. In fact, I, I've, I've talked about Blockbuster probably more than any other company, only because it's so easy to talk about from a what not to do, like how do you, what's, what, what is there not to do when it comes to running a business that is already highly successful? Because they were, they were number one, totally number one, and they lost it all. But for whatever reason, I have people who, I had a guy who, who uh, I'd commented something on LinkedIn and he commented back maybe a couple of days ago, and was really just sticking up for Blockbuster. You know, you were, he, I think he was like, you know, well, you can't blame them. They were doing this, and this is why they did this. And I thought, I thought, dude, are you really defending the company that went bankrupt and, like, lost its entire share in a 15-year span? I mean, like, really, you know? And so, for whatever reason, people get really passionate about Blockbuster. But so Blockbuster's business model, the reason they didn't move to Netflix was two reasons. They loved the brick-and-mortar location idea. And that's part of the reason why they didn't jump on the Redbox plan, especially as Redbox were coming up. Uh, even while they were still really dominant, Redbox started showing up. And then second of all, they really loved their late fee policy. They were making tons of money on late fees. And so if you're the person in the room and you say, here, I have an idea. Let's move away from late fees and let's go to this Netflix-esque type model. And of course, at the time, they, you know, assuming Netflix didn't exist at the time, we're going to go to this subscription model where... You know, you just pay a monthly rate and you just get whatever you want, yada, yada, you know how it works. That person, I guarantee you, was laughed out of the room. I guarantee you there were executives who looked at, you know, their reports or the, the P&L or the revenue, whatever on paper and said, look at all the money we're making. You're nuts. You are crazy. You're insane. We're not going to do that. And the business isn't around. 
now, 20 years down the road. Same thing's true for Kodak. And I love what Carrie mentioned because I didn't realize this. Uh, Kodak, I... I've mentioned before there was really a lot of uh, allure around the nostalgia or the, the, the tactile feel of, of developing the film and how people wouldn't want to move away from that and just see it on a screen. And then Carrie pointed out, actually, and I'd totally forgotten this, there were kiosks all over the place where you would go and actually physically develop your, your film. Well, if you go digital, what happens to those kiosks? Well, first of all, you lose a, a, a significant revenue booster. What happened to Kodak? No idea, but they definitely aren't number one. They aren't something that comes to mind very often any longer. And then the latest I've been talking about, you have everybody who's trying to Uberize their businesses. They're trying to come up with the Uber model and apply it for their own business. But what frustrates me about Uber, it's why didn't Ford, GM, Toyota, whoever, why didn't these companies come up with the Uber idea before Uber? When we look at Uber today and the valuation of Uber is somewhere between $80 billion and $120 billion, that is an incredible amount of money for a company that doesn't have a single car to operate its business. The auto industry in general, there are a multitude of companies that wouldn't even match that. There's a multitude of companies that you would combine together just to equal that. So we know that there's incredible value in Uber. Why didn't Ford come up with it? And I could say the same thing. I'm, I'm picking on Ford. I could say the same thing about any, any of the auto makers. But these companies, they know the industry better than literally anyone. Literally than anyone. Same thing. I mean, I'm talking about Uber, but we could, we could easily transition it to talking about Tesla. Why did so few companies... Jump on the Tesla train before Tesla ever did. What did Tesla, what did Elon Musk and Tesla do that was so revolutionary? And why couldn't have these other companies done it first? They were, they had, they had first mover advantage. They obviously had the cash reserves. I mean, they had the size of business, the market share. I mean, they could have easily innovated into these other spaces. And a lot of times the reason companies don't do that is because it's too risky for how our business makes our money today. I don't want to indulge the idea of how I might need to make my money tomorrow or next week or next month because right now I want to protect how I make my money today. And the only problem with that thinking is, sure, you're around today, but you might not be around a year from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now. In order for your business to make it, you might need to change your business model. You might need to redefine how you make your money. And sometimes it's not a, a super sexy or a, a, you know, you're just indulging yourself into some really crazy thinking. Sometimes it's taking something that is complex or broken about your business and just making it simpler. I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago, but I had a friend of mine who, he runs a, uh, the way his business operates is it's like a WordPress or like a website maintenance plan is how his business works. And so companies pay him for him to basically handle the maintenance of their website and also cover all of these things like security and certifications and all that stuff. Well, so what'll happen is he'll 
take on this customer. And we were talking about, you know, what's keeping his business from scaling and growing. And he said, well, the biggest problem with scaling is I don't have the cash reserves. Because what happens is I take on a customer and I have to then pay for all these things like the hosting, certifications, all the stuff. I have to pay for all this stuff to get them, you know, all set up. And then I really, you know, they pay me, they pay me a monthly fee. I really don't make any money until month three or four. And so that keeps me from scaling. And so that is a business model problem. And it's in order to solve it, it's okay. How do we go back to square one? And how do we solve the cash injection issue? How do we fix this where the business is scalable, where it is sustainable? And sure enough, I think it was the next day or the day after, he called me excitedly and said, I figured it out. I have found a way to provide these things at essentially no cost where every customer I take on is immediate profit from month one, from day one. And he solved it. I didn't solve it. He solved it. He went out and figured it out and he solved it. And so now he has a business model that it's scalable, it's sustainable, and it will give him the money he needs to stay incredibly interested in this idea of what's the next thing that I can invest into to make sure that my business not only survives, but thrives. Wherever you are in your business, give yourself a little bit of a check. Where is my business model? How does it operate? Does it need to be tweaked? Does it need to be changed? Or do I need to break it down entirely and pivot to something else? Again, it's not about making your money today. It's not about eating dinner tonight. It's about having that meal a week, a month, a year down the road. Hey, if you got a story of your own of a business who either didn't pivot at all and died or a business that totally flipped it the script entirely and changed to a different industry, I would love to hear it. Uh, those kinds of stories are just fun stories for me to have uh, in, my, in my brain as I'm just talking about these random things. Uh, if you have a story like that, I'd love to hear it. Even if it's not a national brand, maybe even just a, a local business you know of, or maybe it's even your business, I want to hear about it. Shoot me a message on social media or email me, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. Again, if you like this episode, absolutely let me know. Give me your feedback on it. And as always, thanks so much for supporting the podcast. I appreciate it. And I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. See ya.